Hey, Citywide Church. This is AJ Figueroa, your creative director here at Citywide. I pray and hope your week has started off great. We want to thank you for tuning in this week to our podcast. It's been a long time coming, but we're living in the faithfulness of God, and Citywide Church is proud to call the Climb Memorial Auditorium its new home. We're starting a new series called Heart for the House. For the next couple of weeks, Pastor Louis Burgos will be speaking on how to develop a heart for what God is doing in this house for the city. We believe in God for great things. We believe in God to be faithful and true to his word, not just for this house or our city, but for your lives as well. Be encouraged and stay blessed. Praise God. Let me get my chair, my wonderful chair. So glad they fixed my chair. It was rickety, and it was uh, terrible a couple of weeks ago. How many of you have chairs in your house? Some people don't. What is a chair more than a chair? It's when a chair represents an opportunity for someone to meet Christ. And I want to preach today the sermon topic, the power of an empty chair. Look around you, all around you. Look around right now. Look around at all these empty chairs. The day before my father passed away, he preached a sermon entitled Missed Opportunities. And every time there's an empty seat in this place that we've decided to build our church, Look to your neighbor and say, we're missing an opportunity. Some of y'all thought I was playing about chairs, but we're preaching about chairs today. Missed opportunities. The opportunities that God would desire to use and do in your life, but sometimes we miss them. An empty seat at a barbershop might mean that the barber's not that good. Or it might mean it's a slow time of day. An empty seat in a restaurant can mean the service is bad, the food is bad, or it could mean they're not open yet. I remember one time I went to Puerto Rico, and right before we took off, like an hour before, like a blizzard hit New York City, and it was a midnight flight, and they allowed many people to cancel their flights, and me and Pastor Carmen, she was my professional tour guide in Puerto Rico, we were going to Puerto Rico, and we got on the plane regardless. We were either going to go to Puerto Rico or die in the storm. We didn't care. We were tired of the snow, and uh, it took off, and there was hardly anyone, probably 30 to 40 people on that flight. And maybe some of these chairs are empty because of the storms people are facing in their personal life. You ever ask yourself why Bridgeport doesn't go to church? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? I think it's a mix of a lack of evangelism lack of people knowing about Christ, and the big one is a lack of depth in people's relationship with God, a lack of sincerity in how they seek after God, a lack of truly saying God is number one, and so every week I will put him, the first day of the week I will put him first. And we've been on this series about a heart for the house, what it means to have a heart for the house. And not just this house, not just citywide church, but for the overall arching kingdom of God. What does it mean to have a heart for the kingdom of God? What does it mean? For us, 
Our vision as a church, most of you know it, is to create the largest soul-saving effort Bridgeport has seen. This is why I believe God has positioned us in Bridgeport's most prestigious auditorium that we might be able to build the largest soul-saving effort here. Insert amen. Praise God. But the question is, is are you going to have a heart to fill the place? Are you going to have a heart to say there's empty seats and it bothers my spirit? Because every time I sit next to an empty seat, I shouldn't be glad that no one's pushing my elbows. I should be upset no one's fighting to get into the house of God. I shouldn't be glad that I get the same seat every week. I should be upset that I'm not fighting somebody off for my seat or having to show up early to make sure I get my seat, even though you don't have a seat here. And we read all throughout Scripture of how Jesus went out and he reached the lost, and he reached people who needed him. I don't know about you, but there's been something gripping my spirit for the last three to four weeks. And it is that we are living in some of the worst times the world has ever seen. We are living in what the, what the scripture would call the last days. We are living in perilous times of immorality. Times where, where people don't want to do what's right. They want to live in what's wrong and say it's okay because culture says it's all right. Even though God's word directly opposes it, it happens all around our country. People suing the writers or the, the publishers of the Bible because of what it says in there. People wanting to change the word of God, to water it down. And ever since I was a little boy, my mother and father told me Jesus is coming. And sometimes it told it to me so much that I didn't care if he came or not. I know many of you, if you grew up in one of the old school Pentecostal churches, you were taught that Jesus is coming, so live your life right or you're going to go straight to hell. And I promise you, this is no joke. I did not think that I would live to see the age of 16. I thought that college was no good for me because I was, Jesus was coming. It didn't even matter. And I live now with the thought process that I have to live my life like he's, like he's coming tomorrow, but plan it like he's never coming. And so I don't want to scare you and say, Jesus is coming, oh my God. Because if it strikes fear in your heart, maybe you're not reconciled with God. If you say to yourself, I don't want Jesus to come, then you have to realize that maybe there's some things wrong in your life. And I want you to understand this sermon I'm going to preach to you with the backdrop that if Christ is coming, time is running out. Do you realize this, that you might have, le not, not might, you have less time than ever to reach your family for Jesus. You have less time than you have ever had in the history of the earth to reach your lost teenager for Christ, to reach your community, your neighbors. You know that lady at your job that you can't stand and talks about you? Everybody has that lady except for me. I don't have that. That person, you have less time than ever to speak to them about Jesus Christ. Less time than ever. Because here is the truth that many folks don't want to hear today. Is that we are living in a moment where Christ can come at any second. It's not time for compromise. It's not time for immorality. It's not time for living wishy-washy. It's time to say, you know what, God? I'm going to stand up for righteousness, and I'm going to be righteous before you. 
I was reading my scripture, my, my Bible earlier this week, and it just, you know, it's one of those things that dawned on you. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sinfulness. That was a part of it. He destroyed it because he couldn't find enough righteous people in it. And the righteous people is all that stands in between judgment and God. That's it. That's scripture. That's Bible. Pastor, what are you saying? That we, the righteous, should stand up and create more righteous people. That God would say, if it were not for the righteous, I would destroy that city. But because of the righteous, I withhold my wrath. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to a very great parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 14, starting from the 15th verse, and I will read this, and we will go straight into our, our prayer and sermon, and Stephen will try to walk away very awkwardly. Amen. Before I go forward, it was so great. I don't know if you're here, Emma. It was so great to hear you on the bass today. It was so great to have you. If you don't know, Emma is the head of our kids' ministry, and he's just been uh, dealing with some family stuff with his wife, with, with her family, and so we, we welcome. Could you do me a favor? Could you put your hands together for Emma? He has been a faithful servant of the house, and it was just so good to see him today. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Luke 14, 15. And it says, And when one of those at the table heard, him, heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come! But everything is now, somebody say, ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please, would you excuse me? And still yet another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Because my wife won't let me. Oh, that's not there. My fault. Verse 21. Back on track. All the married men said, hmm. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. But there is still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. For I tell you, not one of those who were invited We'll get a taste of my banquet. Come on, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly, knowing, Lord, that we are living in days that are perilous and that us as a church need to stand up for righteousness. We ask you, Father, that this word will speak deeply to our hearts. 
that this word minister to our spirits, that we would become ever aware of your presence, God, that we would become ever aware knowing that your son is returning. Whether one day, one week, one year, ten years, we know, Lord, his return is closer than we've ever been. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would awaken us today with a sense of urgency for your word and for this world. In Jesus' name we pray. In the verses right before, oh, amen, amen, sorry. <laughs> In the verses right before what we just read, Jesus had been invited to the house of a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a group of individuals. They were the most powerful religious group at the time, numbering about 6,000 in Israel. And they were basically really zealous about the law. They were really sticklers for the law of Moses. And these were the type of people who thought they did everything right and they were really holier than thou. And most of them did not accept Jesus as Messiah. Most of them really just thought Jesus was a liar, a false teacher, and a false prophet. He taught with power. He taught with authority. He healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, healed the lips and the tongue of the mute. He healed the diseases of the crippled, but yet they thought he was a false prophet because oftentimes people ridicule what they can't do. People will hate you for what God has given you, and God has given you the ability to do when they can't do it. Like my beard. I'm just kidding. Most guys who can't grow a beard are just haters. I'm just kidding. God forgive me. And so Jesus has been invited, I'm so terrible, to this banquet. And, and most of the times when Jesus was invited somewhere, it was because they wanted to trick him and trap him in a conversation. They wanted to judge him. They wanted to be able to say, oh, he's a false teacher. Oh, why would you say this? Or why would you say that? And so, and so people have come to this banquet of this Pharisee, and people are kind of fighting to get the best seats. And apparently, this Pharisee invited the best of the best, including Jesus. And so in the verses before this, Jesus is giving this, this, this story and this. He's basically telling them, listen, it is better for you not to look for the seat of honor at a banquet, but to let others. He's giving lessons on humility. And he tells the man, you should be more diversified in who you invite. You should bring not even just the good and the rich people, but you should bring the hurting and the broken to your feet, for they are the ones you don't have. And he says, that's how it'll be in the kingdom of heaven. And so a man pipes up, and we don't know who this man is, but he said, man, blessed is the person who's going to be the one who's at the feast in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus begins to now tell a short parable, a story. And we call it the parable of the story of the feast, the great feast. And in this story, he says a rich man, he goes out and he plans a feast, and he plans this feast, and he sends out his invite list. And he invites the prominent people. He invites the best of the best people. And he took time to prepare this banquet and the food and all the preparations were made. And as it was customary in the Jewish times, they would send out the servants of the master during the time when the feast was prepared. And they would go out to the homes of people who were invited and they would tell them, listen, listen, the feast is ready. It's time to come and people would drop whatever they were doing and they would come to the feast. And so this is what's happening in this story. 
And so the servants of the master go out and people come now and they say to the servants, they say, oh, I, I can't come today because I just bought a piece of land. And another one says, I can't come because I just bought five yoke of oxen. And another comes and says, I can't go because I am now married. And the master is infuriated that these people have rejected his invitation. These people have rejected his call to them. And in this story, this rich man, this man represents God. And the banquet he's inviting them to is the banquet of salvation. And the people he's inviting represents the Jewish nation, the prominent people, the apple of God's eye, the people he had called my nation, my people. And these people, just like the Pharisees, they were denying the messianic claim of Jesus. They were saying, you are not the Messiah. You are not the, the Savior. You are not who we've been waiting for. And so they represent the ones who said, we can't come. And why is he infuriated? Why is the master angry? If you look at the excuses of the people, it tells you why. It seems like they're legitimate excuses. Well, he's just bought some land. Well, he's working in the field, and this one just got married. It almost seems like plausible reasons, but understand this. The first excuse was this. I've just bought a field, and I'm going to go see it. Oftentimes, especially not today, and especially in these times, you would never buy a field without first seeing it. Just like you would rarely buy a house without first seeing it, without first doing inspections on it, without first having all the right people look at it and say, is it worth what they're asking? Is it a place where my kid will have a good school? Is it a place where my kids will be safe to play outside? Who buys a house without looking at it half the time? Mostly nobody in our country does that. And so nobody in this time would buy a field if they had not checked it to see if there was water present to be able to water the field. Was there proper irrigation? Was there water close by? Was the grass green? Was the dirt good enough to grow a crop? Was it in the right place for sunshine, for rain? Was it covered? Was it good? What was it? No one would buy a field before they looked at it. Pastor, what are you saying? These people lied. Let me give you my first point before I go forward. Here's my first point. Don't let life interfere with God's invitation. Don't let life. What do I mean by life? Don't let everyday mundane things in your life replace God's invitation and his call to you. But God calls to you. Did you not know that here today there is an invitation for each and every one of you? At the house of God, there is an invitation for every single one of you for, to come and to know Christ and to meet Christ and to be able to be saved. But sometimes life gets in the way of God's invitation. I can't go to the house of God. I can't pray. I have this to do. I can't read my Bible. I have that to do. I can't put God first. I've got too many busy things in my life, and God understands. God understands. And their excuses, they anger the master. And another man says, I, I can't go because I've, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and i got to go test them out. 
Can I tell you that no farmer would ever buy oxen in the times of the Bible without first making sure they were healthy, without first making sure they were strong, without first making sure they were not too stubborn to do the proper job, to first without making sure they, they would be able to wear the yoke, they would be able to run the till. They would never buy the oxen. But this man says, I want to go test them out. He's lying. And this angers the master. This angers the master. And the next man, he says, well, well I, I've, just, I've just gotten married. And this one, this one kind of seems like, well, he wants to spend some special time with his wife. He doesn't want to come out. They're doing some stuff that they couldn't do before. I don't know if you have kids here, so I'm keeping it real PG. And they want to just spend some QT together. QT, quality time for our older folks. Amen. Somebody's snorting on this side of the church. <laughs> and they just want them to spend some quality time together because they've been single for 30 years. Amen. <laughs> but in reality, although this seems plausible, just because you are married does not mean you can't have a social life. Doesn't mean you lock yourself up in your house. It's just me and you, girl, to the end. Nobody else at that altar. It was just me and you. So death do its part. You ain't going nowhere. Get over here, girl. It wasn't like that. It's not like that. And he says, well, I can't come. Well, why? I just got married. Now, I understand that a man has a place at home and he can't always be going out and doing crazy stuff. But when God invites you in, when God is calling you to a great mighty feast of salvation, can I challenge you, let no one stop you to answer God's call. And there was a cry and a call going out from the heart of God over our city church, over our church, over everyone under the sound of my voice. If you've not yet hearkened unto the voice of the Lord, he's calling to you today and he's saying, come to my table. Maybe you've made excuses in the past and you've said, oh, I, I have so much life to live. I'm having too much fun doing what I'm doing. Or I just don't have time for God right now. Or this God thing just isn't for me. I didn't grow up like that. Well, let me tell you something. You don't have to grow up in God to believe in God, to be a part of the house of God. And these people came up with excuses and it infuriated the man, which the man in this story represents God. And it represents that oftentimes we don't want to break away from our daily tasks to answer God's call. We don't want to sacrifice for the house of God. We don't want to sacrifice for the kingdom of God because life is too much fun. And this is the reason why many haven't come to know Christ. Is because the Christians, the church has been too busy putting a shade on their lamp. We don't offend nobody. We don't hurt nobody's feelings. We don't force our Jesus down their throat. But I'd rather talk to someone about Christ than let them walk through the gates of hell. Have you answered the invitation of the Lord God Almighty? Have you answered the invitation of God? And this infuriated the man who was throwing the banquet. There he had had a great banquet prepared and no one was coming. And in this story, as I said earlier, this represents the elites, the Jews who did not want anything to do with Jesus. And so the man 
goes to his servants and he says, listen, I want you to go out to the alleys, to the streets, and to the town. And I want you to get the poor, crippled, the lame, and the blind. I want you to go out and get them. I want you to go out and tell them there's a banquet that's been prepared for you. Here, here's point number two, really simple, church. God is calling you to be a gatherer. God is calling you as one of his servants. You're not the one rejecting him. Maybe you are today, but if you're a house member, you're a citywide church person, you know you've always been here. God's calling you to be the servant to go out and get the blind, the poor, the lame, and the crippled. And he says to you, go out and be a gatherer. Go out to the highways and the byways and tell the people to come. Tell them to come. For as Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would not have told you so. God is calling us to be gatherers of the harvest. For never before have people been so in need of Jesus. We're living in a great time where people are open to the gospel. But the church is closed as if it is a social club. We're closed off in our sharing of our faith, oftentimes because we look just like the world. We do what the world does, go where the world goes. We don't have any separation in our hearts. There's no type of holiness standing out in us. And he says to us, we should be gatherers. Like Jesus looking over the crowds in Jerusalem, the Bible says he had compassion on them. And he said, the laborers are few, but the harvest plenty. Would you believe that God is calling you who have come to know him, who have come to be saved? He is not calling you to occupy chairs in a church or to come and sit in the bleachers of life, but he is calling you to be a gatherer of souls, a gatherer of people who do not know him. He's calling you to go out and to compel people and say to you that you would be a blessing to them by letting them know of this gospel of Jesus Christ. When is a chair more than a chair? When is a chair more than a chair, church? When it becomes a place where someone can encounter a living God, where someone can encounter the saving power of Jesus, where hearts can be changed, brokenness be restored, spirits be lifted, sicknesses be healed, mental scars be removed. The church is a place where God does healing, God does great works, but Jesus said to his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I love how my pastor teaches it. If that's the case, then I should get all of my family inside the church so the gates of hell can't prevail. I should sow finances into the church so the gates of hell cannot prevail against my finances. I should bring all the lost people I know into the church so the gates of hell cannot prevail against their life. I should fill the church because the gates of hell cannot withstand the church. Why should I bring them here? Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against them known as the church. He did not make the church to be a place where we all have a good time. And you can have a good time in church, but this is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. Well, we are changing lives and saving people by the power and grace of Jesus Christ. Are you here today, church? He's calling you to be a 
gatherer. It is our job to let the world know they have an invitation. There's a great story in the book of Acts of a man named Philip, and because of a lot of persecution that was taking place in, in Jerusalem, the Bible says the church began to be dispersed, except for the disciples. And Philip, he went out to a place called Samaria where no Jew would ever venture because there was ungodly people there. There was half-breed Jews there, and they looked down upon Samaria. They hated Samaritans. And Philip went down into Samaria and began to preach the good news and started a revival right in the place where nobody else would go. He started a revival right in the place where no one else would venture, right in this un likely place, Philip starts a revival, and then he leaves the revival because God takes him down the road to meet an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian eunuch who was sitting at his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, and, and Philip said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand lest someone teach me? I said all that to say this, how can the world know about Jesus lest we teach them? How can the lost know they're lost lest we teach them? How can the hurting know that we can be healed lest we teach them? How can the, the drug addict know there's freedom in Christ lest we teach them? How can the alcoholic know there's a better answer than the bottle lest we teach them? How can those who are naked and fatherless and, and have no homes, how can they know there is restoration in God lest we teach them? God is calling you to be a gatherer. A gatherer of souls, a gatherer of people who are in need of God. And God don't need the ones who are all put together. He called out to the poor people. Somebody say amen. He called out to the blind. You were spiritually blind. He called out to the crippled. We were spiritually crippled. He called out to the mute and the lame. And he said, those, bring those from the alleys. Bring them into my house so that they may have a feast. I don't know about you. I'm not in that first crowd who rejected Christ. I'm in the second crowd. I'm the blind pan. I was a blind, but now I see. Blinded by sin, blinded by the lust of this world, blinded by selfishness and arrogance and prideful desires, but yet Jesus came into my life and he changed me from the inside out. That's the power of Christ. One of the greatest stories in our church is a, is a man by the name of Mike Childs. And Mike Childs is sitting right there in the front of our church. I don't mean to put you out there, Mike. Mike has a great testimony. Mike had all types of issues in his life until one day, two men met him on a street and gave him a CD from a church called God's Victorious Army. For those of you who don't know, that used to be our church name a number of years ago before we rebranded and put on a new name when God gave us a new vision. And, and Mike met these two men, and when Mike met them, he was under the influence of things that should not be in his body. And Mike had a long history of being under the influence, and Mike had a long life of addiction. And then Mike, about a year and a half later, encountered one of his family members passing away. Mike lost his mom. And when Mike was lost, Mike was hurting, and Mike was broken. Mike reached for the CD someone had gave him a year and a half earlier, two years ago. And he listened to that CD, and right there, he gave his life to Jesus. Wow. 
that following Sunday, Mike looks at the CD and he found the address of the church. And Mike walked over to GVA that day and in front of everyone he gave his life to God. He walked to the front. He answered the call. But how would Mike have known if we had not been a church of gatherers? Of people walking the streets saying there's hope beyond your addiction. There's hope beyond your pain. And ever since that day, Mike has been clean. And Mike has been restored. And Mike has been living right before God. Could you give God some praise for healing? 20 years of addiction healed in a moment because of God. And every now and then, Mike will walk up to me and say, Pastor. That's how he talks. Praise God, Mike. Pastor. What's up, Mike? I'm still clean. <laughs> I'm still living it, Pastor. And then about a year later, we had the privilege of going into the place where Mike lives, and we put on a Christmas dinner. And when we talked to the staff, they said, oh, Mike is great. Mike runs around the hallway singing all the songs you sing in your church. We know the songs your church sings because Mike sings them in the hallway. And Mike know that Mike don't got the greatest voice, but Mike don't care because Mike loved Jesus. How many other stories of grace and truth are here today? How many other people saw a Facebook invite? How many other people here came just by the random invitation of someone on the street, but yet they came to know Christ, they came to be changed, they came to be saved, and everything changed. Because God is calling you to be a gatherer. Gatherer of souls. Would you do me a favor? Would you take one more look around you and let God break your heart for empty chairs? Let God say to you, I have people in your life that can fill these chairs. If you have a heart for the house, it means you have a heart to save the people God is broken over. He says, I am near to the brokenhearted in the book of Isaiah. He says, I am near the brokenhearted and to those who have a contrite spirit and heart. I am close to them. I'm close to them. And the servants come back to the master and they say, Master, 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 everything you have commanded has been done. And they said three powerful words. They said three powerful words that, as I read it this week, it ripped my heart open. Three powerful words that as I grabbed onto it this week, it really began to change my heart. Three powerful words, church. Would you, would you let God speak to you right now? Would you let God just speak to your heart? These three words. There's still room. Some of us get to that point where, oh my God, our church is growing and this is great. No, stop that. There's still room. Oh, we're going to fill it up. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. But it's your job. There's still room. And this touched the heart of, of the man who represents God in the story. And he then says, well, go to the highways and to the byways and go to the lost and go to everyone else outside the limits of the city. Go to everyone you can find and tell them they're invited to 
to this banquet. There's still room for the lost. There's still room for the broken. There's still room for the hurting. And there's still room for the stubborn. There's still room for the Spanish man, black man, the white man. There's still room for the Asian, the Muslim, the Hindu. There's still room. When is a chair more than a chair? When it's a missed opportunity for someone to know Jesus. What did the master say? He said, go. Go and bring them in. Why? Because there's still room. It wasn't Easter. It wasn't a special event. It wasn't a special holiday service. He just said, there's still, there's still opportunity. There's still, still room. And here's the part that breaks my heart. How many people rejected God for there to be so much room? And that should bother us. And here's the truth of the matter, that some of us here have rejected God. Some of us here don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Some of us here haven't been living in the capacity that God would desire of you. And today, he speaks over you and says, will you receive my invitation? And then still yet there are others who know Christ. You love God. You are saved. Doesn't mean you're perfect. And none of us perfect here. But you're living in the new creation that Christ made you. You're living in the grace of God. But you've not been a gatherer. And you don't realize that when you call God to be your Lord over your life, that means you take on the role of a servant. And you are the servant that he says to you, go out and get them. And what's the word he uses? He says, compel them to come. Compel them to come. Yesterday, we were sitting home at about 10.30, maybe actually about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and my wife had just come home from doing some uh, hiking with some of the women from the church, and my mother-in-law had called me. She said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm home chilling. She said, do you want to go to Lake Compound? And I knew there were roller coasters over there. I'm like, no, that's not God. And then my wife, she comes home, and I said, your mother is trying to get us to go over there. And then they ended up calling us. I was like, now nah, we're not going to go. Why don't you just go without us? And then would you believe my brother-in-law, Eli, he comes and calls me, and he compels me to come. And you know how he compels me? I came all the way from Japan, and I came to spend time with my family. Everyone together. I'm just like, give me five minutes. Let me talk to your sister. And I hung up the phone and called him back a few minutes later. I said, all right, we'll go. He goes, all right, great. We'll be, we're getting ready right now. Pastor, what are you saying? He compelled me because of the sacrifice he had made to come see us. 
And you're saying to me, well, how am I going to compel someone to come to Christ or come to a church? And because of the sacrifice that Christ made for them and the distance he covered to get to them. That's how. That's how. That's telling them how much Christ has done for them. Come on, would you stand to your feet this early afternoon? We want to thank you again for listening to Citywide Church's podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. If you would like to share how God may have blessed you through this message, please feel free to share your testimony on our Facebook page at Citywide Church. And while you're there, go ahead and like our page for daily updates. You can also follow us on Instagram at Citywide Church. If you would like to get more information about this ministry or to support us financially, you can visit our website at www.citywidechurch.us. We hope you tune in next week to our podcast. Thank you again, and as always, be encouraged and stay blessed.